Episode 175 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the brilliant but troubled English musician Jet Harris. Jet was most famously the bass guitarist of The Shadows between 1958 and 1962, and he had subsequent success as a soloist and as a duo with the drummer Tony Meehan. My interview with Jet took place in October 2010, the year he received an MBE for his services to music. He was about to embark on the Born to Rock and Roll tour with Marty Wilde and the Wildcats. Yet Jet was suffering from cancer, from which he tragically died at the age of 71, only five months after this conversation. You've been quite ill. Are you a bit better now? Well, they still can't locate the main source of cancer, so I'm feeling pretty good. But after this big tour that I'm doing, they're going to um, take a lump out of my neck, a node or something underneath a muscle. Right. But they can't find the, uh, the source of the cancer. I mean, all my organs are clear, so that's good news. Indeed, yeah. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. Um, is it a good idea to go on a big tour? Well, I'm ignoring the, the, the... I'm treating cancer like I've got the flu. Right. And I intend to get rid of the demon. Uh-huh. But um, did they advise you against doing a tour? No, or? no. My, my doctor's quite pleased with me and the surgeon. And, you know, they said, do your tour, then we'll, we'll sort you out. I imagine it's quite good for keeping your mind off it anyway, isn't it? Well, exactly. But I, to be quite honest, Peter, I, I'm not worried about it. I'm mm. treating it with the contempt it deserves. <laughs> so tell us about the tour. What can we look forward to? Well, I'm on with Marty Wilde and Eden Kane. Yeah. You know, we're all about the same age. Mm -hmm. I think we've got 210 years between us. <laughs> and um, we're going the full length of the British Isles in the tour, you know, the, the father's one being done firmly. Hmm. But thank the Lord, we've got a couple while we're up there. We've got Glasgow and Gateshead. Right. I saw you a few years ago with Marty Wilde in my hometown of Worthing, West Sussex. Oh, really? Well, and a couple of years back? Yeah, you played at the Assembly Hall and you were fantastic. Your guitar playing was still superb. And oh, you, bless your heart. And you were very funny as well. I remember some of the jokes you made were great. Oh, so, well, I've got some new ones if you come again. <laughs> Actually, the ones I heard were quite old, but I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you obviously still really enjoy it, Jack, yeah? Well, I do. It, it's, um, I, I still suffer about ten minutes before I go on with butterflies. Right. But, um, you know, once I'm out there, I'm OK. I do enjoy it. Because butterfly, you know, nerves have been a bit of a problem for you throughout your career, haven't they? Yeah, well, I, I had a, a terrible drink problem, which I'm, I hasten to add is, is gone now. Right. I mean, I've been dry for 11 years. And, um, you know, I've, I, I don't mean Christian-wise, but I feel as if I've been born again, you know. <laughs> Not in the Cliff Richard sense, born no, again. No, 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 just... Got a new life with, with not waking up with a hangover every morning. <laughs> so what what took you down that slippery slope in the first place? Well, they say it's born into you. You know, you, you don't <coughs> plan to be an alcoholic. It's apparently they, they've studied this. Because in my time, 
it wasn't recognised alcoholism. Right. They just called you that drunken bastard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a very serious illness. Yes. And I'm glad to be out of it. How did you get out of it? Did you go to the Priory or something? No, I, I went to, to um, somewhere near Verona to a psychologist that had heard about my problem and he was a fan of me and the shadows and he gave me treatment free. Did it, he? it was in a 14th century castle. How long did that go on for? Ten days. That's very good. And I came out cured. Really? Yes. What did they do with you in ten days? Well, it was called induction courses. I right. was made to lay on this bed with um, a TV screen in front of me with my heartbeat and my breathing. And he played CDs made by English actors and just telling me stories. And, and it, was, it was weird, yeah. but it worked. Induction courses, I don't think it's, it's very well known. Right. And how long ago was this? About 11 years ago. And you've not touched a drop since? No. Goodness gracious, that's amazingly effective, isn't it? Well, I'll say. I'm quite happy with life. What were you like at your worst before they cured you? What was your worst sort of imbibing? Well, you, you, alcoholics, the first thing they think of when they wake up, which is usually early morning, is, have I got a drink in the house? You know, it's your lifeblood, which mm. I, you know, I'm not very proud of that. But um, I can look back and say goodbye, demon, you know. Incredible, after that long a time. Yeah. And to have survived so, so well, that's fantastic, isn't it? Great achievement. Well, yeah. I, I'm chuffed with myself. Yeah. And another great achievement, you got the MBE this year, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I know, that came out of the blue. <laughs> It frightened the life out of me. We, we were sitting in, my partner and I, Janet, mm -hmm. we were sitting in my cottage on the Isle of Wight, and um, this big, important-looking letter came through, and I I opened it, and it's, the Prime Minister wishes to... I, I, I threw it at Janet. I thought I'd done something wrong. <laughs> but it was an MBE, which I didn't expect. Apparently, I got it... I was the first man in the UK to play a bass guitar, and uh, I was a sort of, well, without sounding flash, I, I was a guru to a lot of young men mm -hmm. in the 60s, and who are, some of them are rather famous today. Yes. McCartney's one, and I'm always getting guys coming up to me saying, thank you, Jet, if it hadn't have been for you. And... Um, Anyway, the, the Queen said um, she was quite aware of the shadows and our music. She said, what wonderful music, which was quite uh, impressive. There's a sort of commentator all the way through. He announced me as Terence Harris, but he's also known as Jet Harris from the shadows, and she knew immediately. because We, we, we did a couple of Royal Commands years ago for the Queen, and... Um, that's how she knows our music. She might have some of her records, for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did anything funny happen while you were at the palace? Did you make any faux pas or anything? Well, no, I was perfect myself. The only thing is, when we arrived at the main gate, there was a queue of us to get in, and people were having to show their passports. Well, we didn't know you had to. Um, I nearly didn't get in. 
but a copper, a sergeant, he said, hello, Jet. He oh. recognised me, um, but we showed our bus passes, Janet and I. <laughs> and that's how we got in. What did the Queen actually say to you? Anything in particular, or just I like your music? I don't know if she'd been informed. I told her that I, was, I introduced the bass guitar to England, and she said, yes, yes, very good. You know, it's quite a moment when you're up there. It's, it's more nervous than any show I've ever done. So a lot of it slips your memory. I mean, you're surrounded by beef eaters and men in uniform and the red carpet. And you've got to remember to say, Your Royal Highness, <laughs> and then Mom. You know, it's all going through your head. What have you done with your medal? I keep it in my pocket because I bump into so many people that want to see it that, that I, I carry it everywhere. Are you going to wear it on a jacket or a shirt when you're playing on this tour? Oh, no, certainly not. <laughs> no, I won't do that. But um, when you were standing there in front of her being awarded this medal, and did you think back upon all the ups and downs of your life and career, which have been quite amazing? It must have been a hell of a moment for you. Well, I think about those ups and downs every day, Peter. Right. You know, but uh, what a wonderful thing to have achieved. I, I, you know, something that you, not even in your wildest dreams. Yeah. I'm, I was so proud. Oh. And uh, another good thing this year is I actually got a, an email from Dwayne Eddy congratulating me. Of course, I, I, I do a joke on stage, you know, about Dwayne. I'd say... Does anybody like Dwayne Eddy? And they yeah. all say yes. And I, I say, well, I'd like to do a tribute to Dwayne, but I bet the bugger doesn't do one for me. <laughs> anyway, it's got back to Dwayne. Of course, a friend of mine visits him regular in the States. And um, Dwayne says, no, I don't do any of your numbers. He says, there's too many notes. <laughs> he said, but seriously, he said, I'm thinking of putting diamonds in my act, oh. which was my big number one, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So that was two thrills. They made up for being told you've got cancer, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and did you hear from Cliff and the other shadows at all? The only one I heard from was Bruce. Bruce is, you know, I'm quite c close to Bruce because we do a show every year at Lakeside yeah. in, in Frimley uh, called Shadow Mania which we've only just done, actually, a couple of weeks back. And uh, the minute he heard about the cancer, he was on the phone. Of course, Bruce suffered himself with yes. um, prostrate, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, during that Marty tour, one of the last dates we did two years ago yeah. was the Palladium, and Hank and Brian Bennett were there, and Bruce. And that's the first time the four of us had been on stage together for, uh, well, how many years? <laughs> 50. But they still didn't put you in their 50th anniversary tour, did they? No, well, I, I couldn't have done it anyway, because right. that's when I was, I was diagnosed. But um, what would have been nice would have been a, a phone call saying, Jet, we don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I didn't get one phone call. When did he last hear from Cliff? I think on my 60th birthday, he sent me a, a letter saying... Uh, I hope I look like you when I'm 60. <laughs> I've got that hanging on the wall. 
But, you know, they had a lot on their plate. They had enough to worry about without worrying about me with that tour because that was extensive, that tour they did. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have been fit enough because I've had some chemo, which uh, sends you to hell and back. Right. And then I got rid of some nodules in my neck with um, radiotherapy. Yeah. Because Cliff's going to be 70 this month. I'm already there. I'm 71. I know you are, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but Cliff's going to be 70. Are you going to send him a note or anything? No, I'm not. I'm going to let him get on with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier about the name, uh, your real name being Terence. Why did you get called Jet? Uh, well, that was when I was at, um, at a college. I, um, I was a bit of a sprint champion when I was about 14, 15, and all my mates said look at him he, he goes like a jet and every time they saw me here comes that jet I didn't choose it yeah but it's a very good stage name it's an excellent stage name yeah but I noticed there's a number of people called jet in show business now yeah but you were the original well I think so yeah and tell me about the family that you came from were your parents involved in music or show business at all not at all not at all Dad was a, a, a press tool setter. Mum worked for the GPO. Right. They weren't too keen on me. I went into modern jazz first, playing the double bass, you know. Uh -huh. And all that staying out at night at 16, you know, doing nightclubs, they weren't too pleased with it. More so Mum. But uh, when I eventually became a shadow, they... Uh, realised what I'd been trying to achieve, you know. So bearing in mind you weren't from a family of musicians, what had started your interest in music, albeit even jazz at that stage? Winnie Fred Atwell's left hand. Really? Yeah, I used to listen to Winnie Fred Atwell, those boogies, and I wanted to be able to do that. Gosh. And I, I actually begged Mum and Dad for um, piano lessons, <coughs> but they couldn't afford it in them days. Right. But so I, I um, saved up and got myself a double bass. Did you ever get to meet Winifred Atwell? No, not at all. Right. And when you started playing music, did anyone say to you there was something rather special about the way you played and you had great potential? Well, a lot of people in the modern jazz world thought I had a, a touch for being a musician, you know. Mm. I mean, that's how I learnt my notes in, in modern jazz, because I'm totally self-taught. Yes. But I'm playing a lot of lead guitar now in my act, which is, again, self-taught. Yeah. Just tell us how you went from playing the double bass to playing the guitar, just remind us. I, I was on tour with a man called Weebly Harris, and my band leader was called Tony Crombie, and I, uh, Tony Crombie and the Rockets. I was a rocket. Mm-hmm. And um, he said to me one day, he said, we were, I, I don't know which town we were in, he said, have you seen that new invention? I said, what's that? He says, I think they call it a bass guitar. So I went and looked at this down, there's it Shaftesbury Avenue or Charing Cross Road, one of the two, and I bought it. And of course, it's the same stringing as a double bass, so I knew the notes on there anyway. Huh. And, of course, the, the the damn thing was amplified because, I mean, double basses are such hard work, especially for... I'm only a little bloke. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
it was quite a relief to get rid of the double bass, I can tell you. Because <laughs> I used to carry it on the underground, you know. And you can imagine, oh, I'm yeah. five foot six. <laughs> you imagine the comments I got from the people on the underground. You know, <laughs> how do you get that under your chin? <laughs> and once you'd got your hands on a guitar, was there no looking back? Well, being the only bloke in, in England playing a bass guitar, I mean, I, I was down the two eyes at the time, the coffee bar. Yes. Everybody wanted <laughs> me to work with them. I mean, old... Eddie Calvert, with the man with the golden trumpet, even offered me a job, you know, and I wound up being a viper with Wally White and, you know, Skiffle Band. Yep, yep. And that's when I did a tour with Mickey Most, and uh, Cliff was on this show, it was his first major show, and mm -hmm. he came up to me and asked me if I wanted a job with him, and I said no. <laughs> I said, because I'm quite happy with Mickey, because I'm getting £4, 10 shillings a night, which is about 30 quid a week, you know, mm. which was good money then, about 1959 or 58. But during the three-week tour, Cliff's record went up the charts, and the, the promoter, a man called Arthur Howes, mm -hmm. he suggested I took the job with Cliff, which I did, but as a drifter. We were called the Drifters. Right, yeah. And um, what was he like, the early Cliff Richard? Could you tell he was going to be a big star, or was it impossible to tell? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I swore I'd never play rock and roll, being a modern jazz man, you know. But that first hit of Cliff's move it, I still say to this day that that is the record that changed English rock and roll, because... When I first heard it, I thought it was American. It's quite a powerful number, even now. And I was very impressed with it, Peter. But you played on that record, didn't no, you? No, we didn't. Ah. No, none of us. That was all session men. Right. But you did play on a lot of the... Uh, you wrote, didn't you, uh, some of the Shadow of the Drifters hits? Not, not the, the, the biggest one I had a hand in was a thing called FBI. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant tune, that one. But the big ones, like Apache and Wonderful Land, were written by a man called Jerry Lorden, who's now left us. Yeah. And those who weren't involved, we look back upon them as real golden special times. Is that how you look upon those days in the 50s? Well, the 50s and 60s, that, that, that was the time to be, be around. It, I mean, it'll never come back, but it was so, so great in those days. It really was. I mean, the way the girls dressed and, you know, there was not so much trouble on the streets. And Soho, you could walk around and with no fear. And mm. I spent spent a good time of my life up Soho because I used to work in the Two Eyes coffee bar. I sold coke and rum barbers uh, all day and then played in the down in the pit in the black hole of Calcutta downstairs at night. You must have been mobbed quite a bit because when people started recognising you as a member of the Drifters and then the Shadows. Oh, yeah, it was terrible for me and Hank <laughs> if we walked around in London. I mean, I had this shock of blonde hair and Hank had those glasses and we, we couldn't go anywhere without getting mobbed. Give me an example of when you were mobbed. Well, the worst one is when I, I came out of 
Newcastle City Hall mm-hmm. and it was raining and there was about 50 girls out there and um, I made a run for it but it was a cobbled road if my memory serves me right and I fell over then yeah. I had about 50 of them on top of me you know <laughs> stiletto heels digging in and all sorts and in those days, it, everybody wore a tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they used to come at me with scissors to cut the tie or cut some of my hair off. And uh, I think I got rescued by the police. <laughs> and these days, we associate, you know, rock music and stuff with drugs and decadence and everything. How bad was that kind of thing in those days? Or was it really quite clean cut? It was dead clean cut. Well, the Shadows were known as a squeaky clean band. Yes. Apart from me with my drink, you know. <laughs> I mean, we weren't supposed to be photographed with glasses or or cigarettes or anything like that. But there wasn't junkies about or dealers. and There probably was, you know, uh, underground, but not, not as blatant as today. Hmm. What was your favourite moment with Cliff? With Cliff was years later when he invited me to play at Wembley Stadium, myself and Tony Meehan. Right. We did two nights there. And when I walked out on that stage, my God, you know, sort of something like 95,000 people. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't top that. But going back to the early days with Cliff and the Shadows, what, what, were your, what was your favourite moment then? Was it getting your first number one or appearing... Well, ob- at- obviously that, but the fact that we went to places like Africa and the States, you know, and New Zealand, Singapore and all that. I mean, I would never have done that without that bass guitar. Yeah. So, you know, I've been around the world a bit. And it was said that you fell out with them in 1962. What did you fall out with them over? What happened? No, no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a falling out. Right. I mean, we've always been friends. Okay. But my drinking was getting too much. Right. So, on my own back, for their sake and mine. Yeah. I said I'm leaving. Right. And stayed away from the business for about a year, and then came back with, with a hit of my, on my own. With an, another brand new instrument, they call it a baritone guitar now, but it's a, a really a six-string bass as against a four-string bass. And I had quite a big hit with a, an old um, number called uh, Bessame Mucho, and then another one with the man with the golden arm. Did they want you to rejoin them? Well, I, I was smashed up in a car, you know. Yes. And they did come to my... I lived in Park West then. Uh-huh. They, they came to my apartment and uh, they took one look at me. And I had God knows how many stitches in my head and no way could I go near the stage. Oh. But they, they did consider asking me to come back. But why didn't you want to? You didn't feel up to it? Oh, I was far too ill. Right. Yeah. I was in and out of Harley Street, you know, and uh, and the drinking had got worse and... Did you make a lot of money in the early days? Because one imagines, you know, you'd, you guys would have been loaded. Not as much as they do now. Right. But we weren't short of a few, Bob. I mean, I, I was able to buy a brand-new Volvo Sports, you know. But a, a Volvo Sports in those days was 1,800 quid new. 
but you know we're we're, talk, we're talking how, how much now I don't know probably about 40 grand but I suppose 1800 quid was an awful lot of money so yes I suppose we did have a few Bob yeah 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 so um what happened to you after your accident well no way could I face the stage Peter and right I, I just got worse and worse with the alcohol then I went into photography which oh, yeah. um is my other profession right I had a very good uh, professional teach me. I'm talking about film now, not uh, digital. Okay. He was a, a show business photographer called Dejo Hoffman. He was a big, He took a lot of photographs of Cliff and the Shadows. And what were you photographing? I started off with wildlife. Then I did some work for, like, building firms, people that put windows in, you know. You know, you know the camera with the, where you put the hood over the top and yep. uh, the concertina, you know, to get the um, the angles right on buildings and stuff like that. But one of the most peculiar jobs I was well paid for it was um, for the firm that built these fake ski slopes, and I had to do a close-ups of the material. It was for a big brochure for the fu- the final shots. I had to lay belly down on one of these ski slopes with the skiers jumping over me at about 50 mile an hour. But the trouble is, for these brochures, they want to see the whites of the skiers' eyes, you know. So I I used quite a lot of film on that shoot, I can tell you. And according to one biography of you on the internet that I've read, it said that after you quit the music industry in 1967, you worked as a labourer, a bricklayer, a porter in a hospital, a bus conductor and a seller of cockles on the beach in Jersey. Is that true? I've done all that. Have you? I went to Jersey for two weeks holiday and stayed there for four years. And in the summer I played in various hotels... But in the winter, you've got to grab what you can. Mm. So I went as a second chef. I was on the trawlers for two weeks. What else did I do? Hospital porter. I've planted spuds and picked spuds. I've planted gladioli and picked gladioli. (laughs) And all that time, did nobody recognise you? Well, yeah, now and again. Yeah. But I kept a very low profile. But in the end... Most people on the island knew me. And did you always wish you were still a musician, or were you quite glad to be doing these other kind of jobs? Well, I just was enjoying life, you know. Yeah. But I I did play in Jersey in the summer, and, uh, you know, I got well applauded when I played. So Uh, did you keep practising a lot, no matter what job you were doing? No, no, not at all. No. I don't practice much now. <laughs> you really are a natural, huh? Well, I've been playing some of these songs so long that I could do it in my sleep. I find if you practice a lot, you get overripe and then you start worrying about the notes. Yes. <laughs> and how many guitars do you have now, and how many did you have in the early days? Oh, in the early days, I just had the main precision bass. Yes. But now I play three different instruments on stage. I play the precision bass, the six-string bass, and lead guitar, fenders. 
One imagines that that early period when you were making music with Cliff and the Shadows was the greatest time of your life. Would that be true? Well, obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we had no idea. I mean, you could, we were so young. I mean, when I listen to the, some of the early stuff now, I can't believe that we were sort of 19, 18, 17. Hmm. You know, how did we know how to play like that? It was incredible. It was four guys that were destined to be together, I think. And which other artists did you meet in the early days? Oh, the early days. I mean, I've been on tour with Sam Cooke, Little Richard, Gene Vincent. Brenda Lee. Yeah, I was on tour with her. The show that we did in the States was incredible years ago. Right. There was um, Johnny and the Hurricanes, the Eiley Brothers, Bobby Vidal, Frankie Avalon. Oh, Freddie Cannon. Oh, yeah. All in the same show. But, you know, we were playing to 30-odd thousand people a night over there for six weeks. I think we did 18 states when we were over there. But I, I met some wonderful artists in my time. I mean, Johnny Ray. We did World Command with Matt <laughs> King Cole. Liberace. Liberace was very fond of Cliff. I bet he was. <laughs> <laughs> You signed him a, a, a lovely photograph. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's still got it. Did you ever come close to meeting Elvis? No. I met Tom Parker. Been on tour with the Stones, and I, I did some telly with the Beatles. Tell me your favourite moment with the Beatles. Well, this is their early days at the Wembley Arena. Yes. They dragged me in their dressing room and begged me to have my picture taken with them. And I've still got the picture. What other sort of memorabilia do you have from those days? Do you keep a lot of stuff? Well, I haven't got any of the old guitars. I've got a trophy from Fender, a Lifetime Achievement Award, and different awards from, like, Sweden and France and stuff. But uh, I've got my medal now. Yeah. <laughs> I get gifts from fans, you know, yeah, which yeah. I, I take home. All sorts of little gifts, you know, be it a little statue, or which is rather nice. All those years that you weren't really involved in the music industry, do you have many regrets? Do you kind of think, oh, if only I'd kept myself together, I could have been doing this or that in those times? Well, sometimes I've got pangs. I miss the big money, you know. But I, I went through life, I, you know, and just did all sorts of jobs as you said a bus conductor just uh, that was probably to get beer money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like your your life story would make an amazing movie don't you think well so they keep telling me yeah I mean I, I went into about eight different dry out homes in the, over the years and uh, it was myself in the end that, there's only yourself that can stop you yeah. when you've got a habit. I'm seriously considering the fags now because, uh, you know, it's t time I pack them in. Yeah, how many of those are you on a day? Not that many. I've cut right down to about 15 now. Okay, from what, 50? Well, a couple of packets a day in them days, but I roll my own now. Okay. It's a little bit healthier. Yes, a, a, a trifle. But uh, my lungs are clear, apparently. Right, good. Which was my biggest shock. Yeah. 
And do you do any other kind of exercise to keep yourself healthy? Do you eat sensibly? Well, well Janet gets me to walk when she can. Right. You know, I go into town. I'm in Winchester at the moment. Okay. Um, because we we share time in my place on the Isle of Wight and Janet's place here right. in Winchester, which is quite a good deal. When did you move to the Isle of Wight and why? Oh, uh, the year two thousand. Right. Why well, it was. I was first taken there when uh, in 1946, and I I must add that it was paddle steamers in them days. That was every year that holiday yeah. for eight years, and when I started to get older, I. I I swore I'd live there one day. I used to tell people in, in showbiz, you know, I'm going to live on that Isle of Wight one day. Hmm. Why? I said, because if you want to know what 1950s are like, live on the Isle of Wight. Because <laughs> it's, it's still, it's back in time, the island. It's slow and I feel safe there, Peter. Yeah, yeah. And do you have a nice big place there? No, I've got a lovely little cottage, 15th century, with about almost an acre. Because before this cancer business, I was quite a gardener. Is it just you living there, or Janet joins you occasionally? Oh, I can't, uh, I can't live on my own now, in case I have to be rushed to the hospital for something or other. So we, we don't leave me on my own. Right. Have you got kids? Have I got kids? Yeah. Well, I've had four wives. Right. And uh, I've got three with the third one, one with the first. Right. Can you tell me their names and ages? Well, Ricky was born 1960. That's with the first wife. I think it was 1960. Right. It's a long time ago. She's the wife that went off with Cliff. You <laughs> must not have heard that. I did indeed. Yeah. I read about that last year, yeah. So we won't go talking about that one too much. Second one only lasted a year. And the third one, 17 years. And that's the one that I've got three boys with, Ben, Sam and Craig. I don't see them that often, okay, Peter. This is right. uh, one of those things. That's right. But none of your children have followed you into the business? Oh, no, no. Two of them played for Gloucester football because I was a good athlete myself. Did you not want them to follow you into show business? No. Why? Well, I, I don't think they're talented that way, for starters. I haven't seen them for quite a time. Do you, are you hoping for a reunion one day? Uh, yeah, hmm. but uh, I've got a lot on my mind at the moment, friend, with this illness, you know. Yeah, no, I completely understand. So your current wife is Janet? No, we're not married. Okay, your partner, yeah. Tell me yeah. about her. When, when did you meet her and how did you meet her? Well, I met her when she was 14, apparently. Oh, wow. She asked for my autograph. And uh, I was playing in a place called Fairham at Fernham Hall. This is going back four years. Mm -hmm. And I, I never leave the theatre until I've signed the last autograph. Yeah. I've always done that. And, uh, of course, we have a merchandise table like everybody else, you know. Yeah. And the last one to come up to my table was Janet. And she leant over the table and said, do you know I got your autograph in 1962? I said, don't tell lies, love, you're not old enough. <laughs> and she said, I'm 58. You know, so <laughs> she was... I said, well, you better give me your phone number then. She, she sort of ran away and uh, she, she went to the ladies. She was with her friend and she said, he's, he's asked for my phone number. So the friend took 
I think it was on a beer mat <coughs> from the bar. She gave me this number and it took me two days to back up courage to ring it. No. Anyway, we've been been together coming up four years now. But she's nursed me all through this. She's an angel. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you sound like you're a contented man these days. I am. I am. I mean, I have a lot of men my age and younger that come up to me after a show. They tell me I've made them feel young again. You know, and thank you. You know, a lot of I've had a lot of people come up to me. You know, at my merchandise desk after yeah. almost in tears, saying thank you so much, Jet. You yeah. brought back so many memories, and that means a lot to me. Yeah, I bet it does. Well, yeah. without these people, I wouldn't have a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I stay there until I've signed the last autograph. I mean, a lot of artists, as soon as the curtain comes down, they're gone. Yeah. And do you tour around the world or just within the UK? The last couple of years we, we did, we've been to Holland a couple of times. I've done France and Helsinki. Yeah, I, I played in the middle of a wood there, a forest. Lovely place. Uh -huh. but the last place you'd expect a concert. And um, I was top of the bill and I pulled 3,500 people, so I was a bit chuffed with that. Blimey. Have you played the Isle of Wight Festival? No, thank you very much. Why? I won't, I won't go near those festivals. Why not? I don't like all that mud and <laughs> lots of people and tents and one toilet between 300 people. I interviewed another famous bass guitarist from the Isle of Wight, uh, Mark King from Level 42. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. I've, do you know I've not bumped into him over there yet? But there's a couple of people, you know, famous people live over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Mr. Bouquet in Cowles once. Keeping up appearances, Miami, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've become great friends with um, Onslow, Jeffrey Hughes. Yeah. We met in hospital. Oh, okay. I went outside for a fag, and so did he, and we introduced each other to us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he invited me to the house. He's got a lovely house oh. on the island, right in the sticks. But he's turned his back on show business now, I think. These days, a lot of young people getting into show business by these TV audition shows. What do you think of them? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of talent out there. But what amazes me now, in the shows that we do, we're getting some awfully young people mm. in the audience, whether it's what their granddad taught them or not, or, but our audiences are getting younger, which is incredible, because there's so many young guys playing guitar out there yeah, yeah. that have learned to play by listening to Shadow Stuff which I find incredible. But what do you think of things like The X Factor and Britain's Got Talent? I couldn't tell you because I don't watch them. Oh, fair enough. I'd rather watch Homer. Right, <laughs> Simpsons, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and which of today's younger artists do you rate? Well, there's so many, isn't there? I'm into people like Crow, the girl Crow. S Cheryl Crow. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any chance of you ever reuniting with the Shadows and Cliff? I can't answer that. I don't know. I mean, Bruce has me every year at Shadowmania. Yeah. And uh, I did play with Hank once at the NEC. 
there were guys in that audience crying wow. because we hadn't played together for 47 years. Wow. But don't you think incredible. one big concert at the Albert Hall, wouldn't that be lovely? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I would like, if I'd have been fit enough, I have, would have liked a little cameo spot in their show. Yes. Uh, doing the early numbers that I was, you know... Involved in. You know, uh, Apache, Wonderful Land, FBI, all those big hits. And then get off the stage and make way for Liquish Lockin, who was the bloke that took my place. They could have made a sort of story, a history out of that show, you know. Do you Too even late go, now. Did you go and see it? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So how much of your life now is devoted to your career, your, your music? Well, most of it now. I mean, just before you came on, on the phone, I, I did a, a live radio. I'm, I'm doing those a lot, all, all the time, you know. And right. Press things, and mostly a lot of radio I do. Of course, um, obviously, I've got no hits under my belt. And television won't entertain the likes of me anymore. Why is that? Well, I'm old hat, aren't I? I mean, you know, the kids would be saying, who the bloody hell's that on there? But you're a legend. Well, yeah, to blokes my age, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that expression? What, legend? Yes. Well, I can never take it because I've never been a star in my head. I'm just Terry Harris, you know. Right. I can't quite grasp this legend bit. I can't seem to take it in. Do you feel overlooked, though, Jet? Well, no, not not at all. I was I was given an MBE. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was overlooked as regards the Last Shadows tour, but um, as I said, a phone call would have been nice. Uh, we don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> but I was totally ignored there. But um, in terms of your whole career, you you feel you've been given the the, the credit you deserve. Well, yeah, I can't complain. Hmm. And I'm really enjoying it now because it would appear I'm making a lot of people happy now. Have you bought your autobiography out yet? No, not yet. That's under under wraps. Really? Because it would make one hell of a film, I tell you, with the alcoholism and, you know, and the jobs I've had. Are you writing it at the moment? We're just about to start. Okay. Are you doing it on your own, or have you no, got to go... No, no, my manager, Peter Stockton, oh, yes. is helping me with it. He's the best manager I've had for many a year. That's nice. He's straightforward, he's not screwing me, Yeah. and he looks after me. Yeah, well, that's good to hear, yeah. The same as Janet does. So what will you call your life story? I don't know. <laughs> something like Black Sheep Shadow or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And if there is a film made out of it, who would you like to play you? Oh, Janet's already made up her mind on that one. Jude Law. Oh, OK. That's an interesting choice. Do you think uh, it's possible that he might play you? Have you ever met him or are you a fan of his? No, no, but everybody keeps saying what you've said, that this life of mine should have been a film. Oh, yeah, well, hopefully it will be in your own lifetime, huh? Well, I, I was just about to say probably when I'm dead. Oh, but uh, I wouldn't mind a part in my own film. Yeah. Because that was my dream, to act. I mean, I know I talk London now, but uh, Bernard Delphon, when I was with that office, yeah, they actually sent me to um, Albert Finney's 
elocution man. Ah. And I started to speak properly. But apparently it didn't suit me. <laughs> well, John Layton appeared in some good movies, didn't he? Oh, John. I'm working with John in the new year. Yeah, but he's been in some good movies. Oh, yeah. John's great. He's yeah. one... Now, now you're talking about one of the nicest people in show business. Yeah, he's lovely. I interviewed him last year. Oh, he's great, John. Yeah, yeah. And the bugger looks exactly the same as he did 50 years ago. That's <laughs> the trouble. He's got all his hair. He's had nothing done. He's just a lucky man. He looks great. But and as I say, what a gentleman he is. He's very nice, yeah. Soft-spoken. Do you want to live to a ripe old age? Of course I do. I'm too wicked to die anyway. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's something my mum used to say. <laughs> and, you know, when you do eventually leave this planet and hopefully many decades to come, how do you want people to remember you? Well, as a bloke that started off a lot younger musicians than myself. Right. By listening to what I laid down. Yeah. And it's nice to know you're going to go in the musical history books, you know. You're already in them. Well, even more so when I'm dead, I hope. Well, of all the bits of music that you've played, which do you think is, is your finest performance on record? On record, I would say main title theme from the film The Man with the Golden Arm. Oh, right, OK. Why did you choose that one? Because it's got so much balls to it. It was, it was recorded before its time. Right. If you ever get a chance, listen to main title theme. It's done on a six-string bass with a full orchestra. It is so dramatic. That was a Sinatra film, uh, The Man with the Golden Arm. Oh, yeah, that's right. With Kim Novak, I think. Did you meet Sinatra? No. I was supposed to, but I lost my nerve at the last minute. Oh, no. I was supposed to go to one of his sessions in London, but I, I didn't have the guts. Oh, blimey. Of course, you know, as I said, I don't consider myself to be a sort of star. I just can't handle it. Oh. And do you ever look back and think you wish you'd done things differently, or are you glad the way things turned out for you? I'm glad the way they've turned out now, but I could have done without the alcoholism. Right. I really wish I hadn't had to have gone through that. Yeah. But it's something you don't plan. It's something that happens to you. I've wasted a lot of years. But, as you say, you've done brilliantly to come out of it, and you're doing so well now. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a bit late in life, but it all seems to be happening for me, so I'm chuffed. Yeah, well, I'm chuffed for you. Well done. You certainly deserve it. Oh, you're a gentleman, Peter. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I hope to come and see you on this tour. You're welcome, mate. Uh, thank you very much, and continued success to you, and I hope the uh, health sorts itself out for you. Oh, I shall make sure of it. Well done. Thank okay, you, my buddy. All the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Peter Jonathan Robertson. I hope you've enjoyed my interview with the late, great Jet Harris from October 2010. If you'd like to comment on this or any of my other interviews in the PJ archive, you can find me on Twitter at PeterJonathanR2.